Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your co-hosts are Ronnie Langer-Kroger and Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone. I'm your co-host, Thomas Rosenberg, and welcome to Envision. Today, we're talking about the power of reentry with dignity for those formerly incarcerated. According to the Prison Policy Initiative, the U.S. has over 20% of the world's incarcerated population. That's approximately 2.3 million people. 1.3 million people are in state prisons, 615,000 are in local jails, and 48,000 are youth. Of the 615,000 in local jails, nearly 75% are not yet convicted. That means they're often in pretrial detention because they can't afford bail. These numbers don't include 840,000 people on parole or the 3.7 million people on probation. The populations that are most impacted by incarcerations are communities of color. African Americans make up roughly 13% of the U.S. population, but roughly 40% of the incarcerated population. And while males make up the bulk of the incarcerated population, The rate of women being incarcerated has also grown tremendously over the past 40 years, a whopping 834%. Every day, 626,000 people walk out of prison gates. And there are many causes for recidivism, but the rate doesn't have to be as high as it is. And we need, as communities, to really think about how it is that we want to reintegrate these people into a social fabric so that they can feel welcome, they can feel safe, and they can be productive members of society once again. So today I am joined by three amazing people whose work attempts to intersect these underlying issues of recidivism at different points and to do so in a way that provides dignity to those formerly incarcerated. So it was my pleasure and privilege to introduce my three guests. Our first guest is April Fanal, CEO and founder of Pickup.com. Pickup was created as both an alternative delivery solution for food and retail businesses, providing reliable, quality, custom support to meet their changing business needs, as well as a tool to do purpose-driven work. And Pickup's purpose is to train people from the most marginalized groups and specifically people that have been formerly incarcerated to work in the supply chain sector while empowering and employing at the at above minimum wage. Currently, their training is centered around technical skills and communication so that people level up in skills and build the confidence needed to sustain themselves and their family. This topic was her idea. And so thank you, April, for all of your hard work to make this panel and episode possible. I'm really excited we're Absolutely. doing this. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You're, well, you're, my pleasure, as always. And then LaFrecia Free-Brown is a board-certified counselor with Building Opportunities for Self-Sufficiency, or BOSS, by its initials. Her focus is mental health and substance abuse prevention, intervention, and counseling with the unhoused teens and adult reentry populations communities that often have a mistrust of the medical therapeutic community. She has used her education and willingness to modify standard treatment modalities to address the effects of systematic racism and foster resilience combined with motivational interviewing. And our third panel member is George Colon. 
He is a job developer with the Center for Employment Opportunities. And the Center for Employment Opportunities is a nonprofit that provides immediate, effective, and comprehensive employment services to men and women re-entering society in approximately 20 offices across the U.S. In his role, George interfaces with the business community and participants at CEO. He develops meaningful relationships with employers across a range of industries to ensure a pipeline of talent from the organization to businesses looking for good, qualified candidates. George matches those job opportunities with applicants and coaches those participants on their application, their interviewing skills, and their career goals. George joined the Center for Employment Opportunities after 17 successful years managing customer accounts for tech companies. So George, April, and Free, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So April, I would like to start with you just to set some additional context in today's conversation. Could you share what are some of the right reasons for investing in marginalized populations? Wow, that's uh, such a relevant question. I don't know if folks were considering those wrong reasons, um, you know, 40 years ago. Um, but I took a, a stab at just being curious about what the um, definition would be if I Googled it back in like 2015 versus what it looks like now. And like, like what are the reasons to hire someone that's from, has been formerly incarcerated? And all of the reasons that they listed are the wrong reasons. Um, basically hiring them like to save money for tax credits um, and hiring them just to be labor versus investing in them as people. Okay, so some of the right reasons are really to hire. So could you explain a little bit more about what the what uh, what it looks like to invest in this in these in these populations when you're thinking about them as people rather than as potential tax credits? Absolutely. Um, So investing in someone as a person allows them to show up as their whole self So that communication piece that um, you know, you spoke about earlier, um, it really starts with at the interview stage, um, allowing them to show up with basically two sets of resumes, the um, status quo one, and then their actual life experiences one. Um, at that very point, at that stage, you've started investing in them because you're, you're listening. What does the, the, the personal experience resume look like typically? Um, so, um, a lot of times I, I've done over a hundred interviews in the time that I've, uh, have started pickup and, um, the types of experiences really, uh, mirror my past experiences and, um, not having enough money, um, have had some encounter with the police, whether it was your fault or not. And now you like, it's like you can't afford to go to jail. So stories of, of that stories of, um, possibly selling drugs in neighborhoods to make, you know, a living because you can't get hired anywhere else. Um, those types of stories are, Mm -hmm. um, but also, I hear stories of perseverance of like, you know what, I'm not that person I was five years ago and I'm just trying to get, you know, a foot in the door. Okay. That, that makes sense. I was wondering if there was also in some of these, 
you talked about perseverance, but I'm also hearing that there might be possibility for someone to also recognize perhaps entrepreneurial uh, instincts because they're constantly seeking new opportunities. So how do they translate something that may or may not have been illegal or, you know, just because exactly. of the the lack of abundance, but to say, hey, these are actually skills that can be applied legally and incredibly productively. Exactly. And so um, in these interviews, I've just been able to pull from my education background and to really, it doesn't matter if it was someone that had, um, you know, a formerly incarcerated experience or a poor experience, um, or I'm a housewife and that's what I've done all my life. Then, you know, my husband died, uh, sort of a, a narrative. Um, I've been able to identify that and I take a mentor approach during my interviews so that we, at that stage, I'm giving them the words to help transfer or articulate those, what they see as no skills as actually transferable skills. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. George, I'd like to bring you in and, and hear from your perspective and also from your organization, Center for the Employment Opportunities uh, perspective about, you know, as the organiz- as you see here in Oakland, but also what you see perhaps from your colleagues or hear from your colleagues in other offices across the U.S., what are some of the biggest issues you see around placing the formerly incarcerated? Um, the biggest issue really above anything else that I see and that I think I'm sure would be shared amongst uh, any of our offices would be uh, the stigma that still surrounds uh, those that are that are. Uh, coming back from being incarcerated, um, there's there's just this this negative aspect to it, um, propaganda, if you will, where people think that there's that there something bad is going to happen if they hire somebody who is re-entering society, um, and 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 that that limits opportunities in in a lot of uh, a, a lot of industries for our participants. Um, and, and there's data out there to show the uh, the immense value in in looking to this population for uh, for hiring for any number of roles. Um, not only does it does it you know help them uh, as an individual to succeed in life and to, and to move forward with their life and to actually significantly reduce the likelihood of recidivism, uh, but it also uh, they're they're often the best employees uh, uh, an organization can hire. Um, dedicated, hardworking, uh, knowledgeable uh, uh, skills that can be leveraged. That that uh, often uh, uh, an average applicant that doesn't have their life experiences, um, uh, you know, w- wouldn't wouldn't be able to offer. Um, and the other really big hurdle that we deal with. Uh, regularly uh, uh, is um, focusing on the past and and background checks essentially uh, instead mm-hmm. of you know really getting to know a person and getting to know what they could contribute to uh, your company or or or, uh, or or contribute to the you know your growth they the, the background check just just carries entirely too much weight um, so there's not a lot of uh, uh, not a lot of effort made to you know, have these have a discussion with a person uh, and 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 find out what it is that they're capable of, 
um, and get to know them and, and instead just, you know, uh, leveraging a lot of your decision on, on, a, on a background check. Mm-hmm. So I would, very fascinating, and there's a couple of things I want to come back to in a, in a moment, but I'd like to bring in Free uh, into the conversation. And Free, your, your work seems, you, your work, especially at, at, at Boss, but also your background focusing on, on the mental health aspects of, of these populations, I would really, I, I think it would be intriguing to hear what practices you feel our work to facilitate reentry. Yes. Um, so the background, uh, the current uh, program is I'm contracted with BOSS and also Contra Costa County. With BOSS, um, I'm working with families, and Contra Costa County, I'm working with teens. What's turned me to that is my work with the federal drug court um, or the federal uh, probation in San Francisco, working with men who have been incarcerated. Um, going into prison or coming out, they said services would be better targeted to teens and catching youth before they get into the system. So the reentry population has actually molded me as a, a licensed therapist. They said, you can definitely start with us. Thank you so much for being here. Reach us at, uh, you know, 10, 13, 14, 15 when we're starting to Experiment and starting to get into things. So that's the, the, the background that's kind of shaped me um, and, and, and has me to this point to provide intervention for youth and families, but also supporting the current reentry population. So some of the factors that they said that would have helped them when they were younger is having a supportive community, education, access to stable housing, employment, um, that came from the actual population and working with actual clients. Of course, there is studies out there that says the same thing, but it kind of helps coming from them to say, you know what, this is what could prevent and help someone in the future. Wow. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what do you feel are, so is it, as, as, as George was saying, this, this, the stigma that was causing people to look towards the past? Is that one of the biggest challenges for reentry, Or is it, is it also just feeling a lack of a supportive community to, to be welcomed back into? Or um, I would say the all the above. Okay. <laughs> it could be both, um, okay. depending on the person. I do know um, from what I've heard working with the clients, trying to get out to the community and find employment you know, after they've marked a box, I don't even think the box is a factor anymore, but people still ask, you know, about folks' criminal history. Um, it opens them up. Um, they, they get talked to differently. Um, mm-hmm. Me going in with no and my educational background, it, it, it's a totally different experience if I have to say, you know what, I actually, I actually have been released from prison. All of a sudden... All of the education that I have, all of my smarts, if you will, it just gets washed away. And, and folks are hmm. treated um, just, at, 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 just horribly, to be honest. There have mm-hmm. been uh, folks having money missing from their paycheck, not being paid on time, being paid less. Right. So it's a right. lot 
that the community needs to prepare for when working with people who are a part of the reentry population. They are not a target for um, abuse. Um, they've repaid their debt to society, and as far as it's, it's supposed to go, they're supposed to go back and, and just get right back in line where they would have been, but that's not the case. Um, they are treated unfairly, um, not paid as much, not given opportunities. Mm-hmm. So it, it just creates a cycle, um, you know, where they could possibly get back into the system right? for it, various it, it, reasons. Yeah, it encourages the recidivism, which we're trying to prevent here. Right. Yes. We'll continue our conversation with April Fennell, CEO of Pickup.com, Free Brown of Boss and the Contra Costa County, and George Colon, job developer for the Center for Employment Opportunities after a short break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit Regenerate.coach. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with April Fanon, Free Brown, and George Colon. And we were talking about what it means to invest correctly or perhaps even if I might say morally, in marginalized communities for the right reasons. And 
what are the wrong reasons and how that negatively impacts. And April, I believe there was something you wanted to share because Free brought up this this point around how there's this double trauma with people when they mention, when they check that box and they say, I have been formally yeah. convicted of a crime. Right, right. I'm not sure if Free mentioned double trauma, but she, she spoke about, um, yeah, the things that uh, her participants have uh, shared. And when I was interviewing them, um, it's almost like uh, being exposed all over again or being chastised or being judged all over again, um, you know, after you've already served your time. Um, so that's something that I guess because I get to share my personal story of, uh, of perseverance and going through that system and getting myself out of it and changing my narrative, it opens them up to just uh, to, to share truthfully and then we can really talk about goals and, um, and, and the skills for the job. Mm-hmm. And I guess that also, for me, raises the question around what does it, you know, not just being judged, but just the fact that when you're supposed to be able to come out and have that, you're seeking a supportive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. community, there's, that reinforces the distrust, perhaps, of the medical and therapeutic communities, and also prevents people from really addressing the trauma that they've been, they've been holding on to. Right. Yeah. So, Free, do you have anything to add to that in terms of what that looks like in terms of addressing some of the emotional trauma or mental yeah. health? Mm-hmm. So, um, the, it's just not one trauma. You know, something happened, you know, we get startled or something bad happens and it happens once. Uh, people who are coming from the minority population, not that folks are small in numbers, it's just not a part of the dominant culture and society, there's already some trauma around that. And so we're talking about complex, compound trauma, trauma where there's poverty, where there's um, trauma of race, trauma right. of maybe abuse, or several different traumas, and then uh, no coping skills have been taught over time or learned or there was mm-hmm. never an opportunity mm-hmm. for them to be gained, maybe because they didn't have access to mental health care, or if they did have access, it wasn't with a culturally competent clinician. Um, and so these people may not have coping skills, and they come out of prison, um, which is a trauma in and of itself. That is an environment that's not... It's not the best situation. It's, it's prison. So it's still a traumatic experience, even though we consider the person a criminal. It does not mean they have any um, lack in feeling or, or lack in um, uh, effects that that institution has. So they, if they come out and they don't have the opportunity to learn those coping skills, um, it's a trauma on top of a trauma. Mm-hmm. And then to interact with other members of society who are not as open or welcoming um, or disrespectful to someone who's already been devalued and dehumanized, it, it, it really does set up a, a predicament where things could go awry. Um, and there needs to be some intervention and opportunities for these skills to be gained. 
and uh, folks don't have insurance when they get out of prison. So where are they supposed to go for these uh, culturally competent services? So there is a gap there um, that, that it, it needs to be filled. If, if we're wanting to get more Americans in the workforce, we're going to have to use people who have had a criminal background. The numbers are just staggering. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's we're talking about investing. Why would you want to invest? Well, these are people's uh, sons and daughters. They have older parents they need to take care of. They have children, et cetera. So it's, it's a why not. I think it would, you know, it would kind of be the gift that keeps on giving. They have the educational background yeah. of them, and it doesn't make sense to rule out a whole group of folks who may have been arrested for something as petty as marijuana possession, which is currently now legal. Um, and so they have this scarlet letter that they, they kept, and they're valuable members of society. Right. So I, 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 for me, it's just getting the care to them and helping mm-hmm. them build skills that they never had and then putting them into society and letting them be as great as they can be. Hey, right. George, I know you probably don't want to say this on air, but we had an off-the-cuff conversation about kind of the folks that were hiring for the wrong reasons and how you shy away from them because you can kind of sense it. Yeah, Um I mean, I'm not going to mention names, but there are, there are plenty exactly, of employers exactly. out there. <laughs> there are plenty of employers out there that churn through bodies, um, whether it be because the work is rigorous or seasonal. Um, they, their interest is not uh, is not in in giving somebody an opportunity to advance uh, or to learn a new skill or to take something away that's that's a value so that they can succeed somewhere else. It's just to have a body to work to the bone and, and, and uh, you know, set them aside when they're, when they're no longer of any use. Um, and those types of employers look to our population very often because they think that they can get that, that cheap labor, that, um, that hardworking labor and, and not, uh, not have to, do all the things that a, that a normal company or that a, or that a, uh, a, a good company needs to do to maintain an employee and to make sure an employee is happy and, and, and succeeding. Um, so yeah, when, when we, we, we shy away from those employers, uh, uh, regularly, uh, it, it, it just, that's not what we want to do with our participants. Mm-hmm. We want them to, we want them to have benefits. We want them to have, uh, uh, opportunities for advancement. Um, if they don't want to stay with a company, we want them to take away a skill set that they can use somewhere else in the future. Uh, it, it, it's not about um, finding them a job. It's about finding them a job that they're going to enjoy being at, enjoy going to work, going work every day, and, a, and, a, and an employer that's going to appreciate them just as much as they appreciate the opportunity from the employer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. It's a shame that there are still people who are viewing the world with such an extractive mindset and seeking labor at you know, the the lowest possible cost and perhaps chasing those tax credits rather than really thinking about these people as as fellow humans. Mm-hmm. Is this one of the biggest bottlenecks in you finding a pipeline of positions for your participants? I wouldn't say that that particular issue is a bottleneck. Um, really, if, if there's if there's any um, if there's any bottleneck as far as 
finding, putting people out there and, and having people, you know, be able to find the good opportunities. It's that a lack, it, there's a lack of knowledge about programs like ours or like BOTS, um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Legal services for prisoners or children. People don't know that these programs exist. Um, employers don't know that these programs exist. So if if there if there was a more proactive approach by by employers, whether it be at a local level or national level, that that there, there was resources like ours to find not only quality employees but quality employees that have been you know, vetted that have, that are receiving the, the, the reentry care that they need, um, to, to be able to, to go out there and flourish. So that, that's a, that's a massive bottleneck because we, you know, we're, we're running around trying to find any employer that's willing to work with us. And mm-hmm. it would be wonderful if they were coming to us. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you raise your, your profile as an organization or as a series of, services and opportunities for this population in a way that mm-hmm. is is self-reinforcing yeah you know it has to we i i realized this this last year over you know the last year of working with center for employment opportunities that we need to as as a as a local uh chapter of a nonprofit organization we have to start small and we have to start local we have to we have to we have to reach mm-hmm. out to oakland oakland needs to recognize us and we need to be out there doing local re- outreach to our community partners, to other CBOs, to uh, local businesses, regardless of the size, and, and say, you know, here we are. We, we can help. We're here to help people from our community that have been, uh, you know, directly affected by uh, the, the criminal justice system, by the, when it really comes down to it, by racism. And... Um, and you, you know, if if you care about the city that you live in, the say that the, the way that you often so often say that you do, mm-hmm. par- partake in, in in what's going on with this with with these organizations. Whether you whether you hire somebody or or you make a donation or you donate your time, uh, you know, get involved because it, it's it's critical to the success of a of of a massive amount of people that are treated unfairly and it's critical to the growth of our society. And, and mm-hmm. so if we, if we get Oakland to start doing it, I have, I feel very strongly that other, other cities locally will follow suit. Yeah. I would like to turn the conversation towards what this is like for each of your organizations and a, and a more uh, concrete aspect. Uh, so April, I was curious what you, you, touched on a little bit some of the skill gaps that in the in the first segment but i'd like could you go into more detail around what do you see as some of these some of the biggest issues around the the skills and how do you how do you incorporate a new employee absolutely well um so i am in the logistics transportation and delivery uh sector it's booming right now it's a growing um sector. And uh, as uh, George alluded to, there are a lot of companies in that space that do mass hiring um, and sort of, you know, have the brand recognition and stuff like that. So 
they're getting a lot of those available uh, bodies. But that's just, just it. So I won't beat on that anymore. So the training <laughs> that we do and the, the skills that I've recognized over these 100 interviews that are, um, are lacking, and which is what kind of made me pivot a little bit, um, it, we were always looking for, again, some purpose-driven work, but that's really, really broad. You know, I'm kind of like reacting to whatever my community needs, um, whether it's volunteering, giving time, giving money, um, or again, using pickup as as that tool to impact social good. So, um, the skills that are lacking are, uh, I say, technical skills. That's really, really broad as well. So, there's the specific logistic um, sort of uh, software that people do not know how to use that are um, above entry level jobs. That if they had a, a space where they could actually learn that and then apply what they're what they're learning and like a real setting, it would make them much more attractive to go into other organizations um, where all of a sudden being formally incarcerated, not that it maybe doesn't matter as much, but it doesn't matter as much because you're coming from an organization that already gave you the, the first chance or the second chance. So you're much more attractive to the next place that you that you land and you have um, a lot more skills that are valuable and in demand uh, currently. Um, so there are the industry-specific technical skills around things like inventory management, um, warehouse management, um, order fulfillment, and the list goes on, um, dispatching, routing, um, mm-hmm. that there are industry-specific tools that you need to use. But then on the other side of that, they are what I consider basic technical skills, um, they're both the soft skills around, um, you know, uh, engaging with somebody, communicating, and it's not really about, um, you know, using proper words and can articulate, but sometimes I see people don't even know how to express themselves. They don't have the words to communicate. So it's not that, you know, we do some vocabulary tests, but we go through a series of having just dialogue and giving them other words that they can add now to their vocabulary because those are words that I use in our, in our, in our conversating one another. Um, and the same skills that we were needing 40 years ago are the same technical skills that folks are lacking now. Um, Excel, uh, you know, Microsoft, those types of um, applications that, and for me, just like a nonprofit, I went straight to everything that was open source, free, or mm-hmm. very low cost, right? Not those proprietary types of uh, uh, software. So um, I, I teach people how to use those. Everybody on my team has been cross-trained or is in the process um, and it's such a value for me because now everybody has empathy for what the other team member does. Like everybody's truly invested in everybody else's success. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I guess also it it's reflects. Not, it's not without its challenges, but yeah. the rewards have been more than I, I ever could have um, imagined. Well, and cross-training tends to be really powerful, especially for small businesses in terms of building resilience across a team. If somebody's sick or 
you know, one day you, you still have the capability of, of running pretty much full steam. So there's, there's certainly benefits for that. But I was curious too, though, because what I'm hearing is that there isn't enough training coming out. I mean, perhaps it, there is some computer training while somebody might be incarcerated, depending on the, the prison where they're at. And it also doesn't sound like they're teaching something that's sufficient for when people leave. Well, uh, I, you know, if I could speak to that, um, yes, please. what you said is precisely true. Um, we're, there, there are programs, uh, a good example is, uh, San Quentin has a couple of programs that, that, uh, give, uh, inmates, uh, training on, uh, on computer skills, um, emailing, resume writing, uh, uh, you know, getting prepared for job interviews. And this is, this is, and there, the, there's sometimes, you know, anywhere in the realm of like six to 16 weeks uh, prior to being released that they can have, they can go to these, they're elective and they can go and they can learn what they need to learn to be prepared. Um, but there's still very much this left behind aspect when it comes to technology. Uh, yeah. the, the, the prisons only have so much that they can, that they can possibly do. And most of them don't do anything near what San Quentin is doing. Um, so they're, they're, they're coming out back into a world that has changed dramatically and that changes dramatically every five to 10 years. Right. So they, they don't have the resources or the skills to essentially catch up fast enough to be able to do what's expected of, of you know, any normal applicant. Uh, email is a massive challenge for us. Uh, getting a, 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 a somebody who's reentering into society to, to, regularly check their email or check their voicemail um, and be able to rely on that. Uh, remembering passwords that now need to have a capitalization and a number and a special character. Uh, you know, this, yeah. is, this is stuff that is very, it's, it's difficult for them, for them to wrap their head around sometimes. You know, so we, 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 we make a lot of effort to help them with this. And this is something that we're on top of regularly, especially for those of, of, uh, in our program that are, you know, actively looking for work. Um, but it it seems to me that it's something that could be very easily uh, done before they're released, and, it, and I don't think it would take a lot of resources or a lot of effort on the on the part of of the prison or the jail to to provide that to to people who are you know close to being released. Mm-hmm. And would that be enough time? I guess from what I'm hearing is it doesn't sound like even six or sixteen weeks is really enough for them to assimilate what is really a changed world since th- while they were, you know, even, unless they're in for perhaps less than a year. It, it's, it, it's not because things change so quickly. Um, yeah. Getting the basics down, that's enough time. And, mm-hmm. and anybody who elects to take those programs usually comes out pretty ready to, to do stuff. Uh, but the issue is that there's just not enough of that going around for it to, for, for us to be uh, willing to think that anybody who comes through our door is ready in that, in that, aspect. Mm-hmm. So our, our thought process on it is that we're always ready to, to assist with, with those uh, types of what we, you know, we, we, we take that for granted, the cell phones and the, and the emails and the internet, but we have, we have to teach it and we think it's simple, but when you've never touched it before, you don't have your hands on it regularly. It's not an easy thing right. to grasp. Right. We have to take um, a short break and we'll be right back. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations, and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit Regenerate.coach. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with April Fennell, Free Brown, and George Cohen, and we were talking about the challenges of incorporating new formerly incarcerated employees and some of the issues needed to uh, be considered in order to properly address their skills gap and make them their reintegration much more effective. So in this, this segment, I would really love to hear from you all, what are the important elements that we need to keep in mind? You know, what resources would you recommend for communities or organizations interested in supporting the formerly incarcerated populations, welcoming them, welcoming them back into their communities in a more effective manner. Free, would you like to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll oh, take that uh, since okay. April. Um, well, there's a couple things. I also just want to kind of leave a few resources maybe for folks that um, are businesses that are um, hire someone that has been formerly incarcerated or just somebody that has experienced trauma. Um, so one, I think, is starting with with our, our language. You know, if you're somebody that's, like, super mindful and conscious or, you know, you're working in the space, you you have a little more sensitive language to use. And I'm not saying don't just shoot it straight, right, and tell it like it is, but, like, I don't like when I'm reading things um, that speak about formerly incarcerated people, like, as a strategy or... Um, you know what I mean? It's, it takes away from them. Uh, and as we speak about that, just like remember we're talking about people and um, possibly we won't uh, frame that in such a 
monetary fashion. Um, okay. No, that sounds uh, good. Remembering language and reframe that. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, some of the resources, I'm not sure I'm probably not answering your question, <laughs> but some of the resources that I found really helpful as a small business, just trying to learn more, um, learn more from a, you know, uh, a city sort of overview of what's happening and what's being done on a citywide level um, and, like, what partnerships to make. Twitter and Instagram are really a good start for me. And, of course, any of your web browsers to just kind of research um, those types of organizations in your area. Um, and that, after you do that, um, engage with them and, and ask questions like uh, George said, you know, uh, they're having to spend a lot of time going out to find people, and it should sure enough be the other way around because it's it's, it's just time. What was your other question, Thomas? Well, no, so that that was that was that was good. So I was I was curious, free, if you had any thoughts on resources or uh, that people could use as communities or organizations to support a more uh, to support the emotional and mental health of the reentry populations? Um, supporting the emotional and mental health. Um, the basic needs need to be met. Um, when we look at Maslow's hierarchy, I can't uh, expect for someone to uh, self-actualize and, and to get into, get into some real deep thinking about themselves when their housing isn't right. Mm -hmm. Their um, means of clothing and feeding themselves isn't right. So mental health, to me, the basic part is um, do you have the ability to take care of yourself? Do you feel safe? I can't talk about anything if I'm not aware of where that person is living, how they're living, and if they're safe. Mm -hmm. So for me, it starts there. Plus that also lets them know that I care. It's just not come in, let's get an hour, you know, because funding says that I have to talk to you. I'm genuinely concerned, and I want to make sure that whatever it is we're doing has something to stick to. So for me, having worked with the population in counseling, it's like we need to come up with innovative housing that does more than just provide a place to sleep, if that's an option at all. It needs to look into being holistic, looking into their nutrition, looking into their counseling, providing some entrepreneurship skill development, talking to employers that we know um, are cool, you know, the, the actual program coming up with a list of employers that we know will work well with this population and not just sending them out to people we don't know. Hey, you know what? I know this person. He's a manager over here. He's definitely cool. You know, getting out there and helping them find their way, not doing it for them, but helping them and guiding them to people and programs that we know are worthy. So I think the programs that exist need to have conversation with each other. All of us are touching the same populations and, and we don't know each other. It should be a continuum of care where I know you've gone to this person, next you can go to this person who does, I actually, I actually know this attorney or this program that helps with record expungement, here's these resources. We won't know that until we get out of our own silos. And getting out of that, it's, it's, it only benefits the clients. It only benefits the population. It only benefits our programs for us to communicate amongst ourselves and create the net. 
Um, it stops mm-hmm. us from duplicating services. Um, so I think that's one of the things is really having a conversation um, about what works and trying to build that continuum of care. And so for me in mental health, I just don't jump to that level of thinking if I haven't established the basic needs uh, or covered the basic needs. No, and I appreciate that. That uh, I think your point is incredibly salient. So the for me though, do you have? I'm curious if there are any models of communities that have been able to create a an effective continuum of care within their city or within their their town. This is not or, a plug, but I started one. Um, <laughs> at least on paper, it's like I cannot work with. Um, the reentry population and continue to see the lag there and continue to see all these things that contribute to um, recidivism and do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen it yet. Um, so the goal is to create it. And so that's, that's what I'm, I'm pulling together is all those sides and all those pieces. I call it innovative housing. Um, but essentially it, it, it's, it's really for the community and I think we have the structure for it to happen. There are a lot of transitional housing programs and maybe them having conversations with other support programs, um, having the conversation with um, a, a resource center or an employment center and, and really br- bridging that gap. Hey, can you come over here and visit our folks? Can we send our folks over there with you? We can do it. The structure is there for it. Um, it'll just take a little bit of, just thinking out the box a little bit and getting mm-hmm. out of our silos. Yeah. No, I hear that. I hear that. And George, I suppose you too have, you were talking earlier about community business organizations, CBOs. And so I was, I imagine that that's also how you see at least part of the, the ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, I really couldn't have said it any better than Free just did. Um, and it's, it's an unfortunate truth. This isn't a new fight. Um, uh, this is, this is, uh, help, helping to reduce recidivism has been something that organizations like ours and like uh, Legal Services Prisoners of Children, like BOSS, um, like there's there's so many others have worked really hard for years to to see through, and we're we're making a dent, but it's it's uh, it's still we, we have a long road ahead of us to to mm-hmm. really get the communities and the cities and the states and the federal government to really see the value in, in, in what it is our work that we're trying to do. You know, the fact that we're having to go in front of Congress regularly to remind them that programs like food stamps are so essential to making sure that, that the people that need it can, can have any semblance of success and, and to get on their own feet at some point. Um, and to not reduce it or to change it or to uh, take funding away from it is is it, it's 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 kind of ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. um, George, you know, we're, we're running. Piece. Yes, it's one piece. Unfortunately, George, we're running out of time. So, I was wondering, could you just share quickly the social media platforms you, that CEO is active upon and we'll just go through all three of you, and so everybody can know how to follow your stories and support each of your organizations. Absolutely. So uh, uh, on Instagram and uh, uh, Facebook, it's CEO Works. 
and our website is www.ceoworks.org. Thank you. April? You can find Pickup at Pickup1 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's P as in Paul, I-I-K-U-P. And our website is pickup.com. Wonderful. Free? I can be found at hopetaskforce.org. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Hopetaskforce.org. Okay. And that covers all of your work. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for, for being part of this. It has, this has been a really wonderful uh, conversation and I'm just grateful that you were able to be on the show today. Me too. Thank you so much, Thomas. Great last show. <laughs> yes, thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you, April and Free as well. Much appreciated. Thank you. Yes. So, again, thank you. Uh, and a note to our listeners, this show has been part of the gift economy for the past 17 months. And if you enjoy this show and want to see it continue, we ask that you support its ongoing production and development through a small monthly ongoing donation. And you can visit our crowdfunding page at steadyhq.com forward slash support dash envision. And for those interested in exploring an organizational sponsorship, please email me at envision at regenerate.coach. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm your co-host, Thomas Rosenberg, and this is Envision. Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. For more information about today's guests and upcoming shows, please see our show page on voiceamerica.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.